Well, hey, welcome to First Church Live. So glad you guys are joining us online today. If you're new, my name is Chad, and normally we're a church that meets in two physical locations. But over the past couple weeks, we've had families meeting all throughout in hundreds of different locations throughout the 918 and beyond. In fact, I was told that this past Sunday, we had people worshiping from 23 different states. That is awesome, and that is incredible. So even though this feels very different because I'm preaching to a big empty room with only a handful of people in it, some of our band members and tech people that are here, it's it's still awesome knowing that so many of you guys are lifting up praises to God and joining in this time of study with us. So welcome. We are so glad you're here. If you're a First Church regular, welcome back. We especially want to say thank you for joining us. If you're somebody who's worshiping with us today because maybe your church has called off services, you don't have another way to worship, we're also glad and excited you're here. And if you're somebody who typically doesn't worship at a church on Sunday and you just didn't know what else to do today because you're stuck at home and it's a Sunday. We're glad you're here to welcome, and we hope that you are encouraged by the message today. Now, I used a word just a second ago that I've heard a whole lot over the past couple weeks, and that's the word stuck. I'm sure you've probably heard people say it. I feel stuck right now, stuck at home or maybe stuck in this situation we're in, not knowing what's going to happen next. I've heard that word used a whole lot. Now, last week in the sermon, I said if there was one word that could describe our culture right now, it'd be different because everything feels different. But if there's another word, it's this one. It's stuck. In fact, I was talking to my neighbor just the other day, and we were standing in my driveway. Don't worry, we were six feet apart. Don't worry about that. But we were talking in my driveway. It's like, man, how you doing? And he said, hey, I'm doing fine. I'm trusting in God, but I just feel stuck at home right now. My family feels stuck. And because a lot of families feel that way, they're having to be creative to keep their families entertained while they're stuck at home. And I've seen some stuff on social media, some creative things that families are doing so that the kids are having fun and parents are having fun with one another. And so uh, I thought I'd share with you some things that our first church family has been doing to stay creative during this time when everybody's kind of sheltering in place. Here's something that my family did. Here's a picture. We turned our jet tub and our uh, master bath into a swimming pool for our kids. So there's my son. Alex and my daughter Addie, they're in their swimsuits and they're having a blast. They were in there for like an hour, just having fun, playing with toys, swimming around. They loved it, even to the point that Alex is calling it our indoor swimming pool. I told him not to say that too much because people may get the wrong idea, but still, we turned our jet tub into a pool and they absolutely loved it. And I asked some of our other First Church family members to send me some ways that they've been creative in keeping their family entertained. Here are some more examples. Uh, I saw a lot of pictures of kids playing out on sidewalks and in driveways using chalk to do different sidewalk art. And if you drive down my street right now, you will just see house after house with chalk all, all, all over the driveway because this is a fun thing to do outside during this time. Now, this next picture came from somebody in my life group here at First Church, and they decided to do yoga as a family. So here are their kids doing yoga moves or positions, whatever you call it. I don't do yoga, so I don't know what that's called. But still, here they are doing uh, yoga moves or in yoga positions. And I could never do some of this stuff. I wouldn't be able to walk for a week if I tried to do this. But they're having fun as a family doing that. Now, this next picture is really creative. It came from a mom in our church, and her daughter loves to paint people's fingernails. But during this time of social distancing, she's not able to do that. So she created 
cardboard hands so she could create fingernails. So how cool is that? How creative is that? I love this next one, even though it kind of grosses me out, freaks me out a little bit. Uh, This is a picture from one of our staff members uh, here on staff at First Church, and this is his daughter, and apparently they have pet rats. Why they have pet rats? I have no idea. He's actually one of our newer staff members. If I would have known that during the interview process, he probably would not have made it through, but he's here now, so we have to love him anyway. But they have pet rats, and she is actually Skyping or FaceTiming a friend in her class to show her her pet rat. Now, like I said, this family is new to our church. The staff member is new. So I haven't had a chance to go over to their house yet. And now that I know this, I probably will not be going over to their house. I'm going to love them like Jesus, but I don't love rats. So I'm just going to say that right up front. But then this next example, which we're going to show here in just a second, it's actually a video. If you want to take it down real fast, we'll show it here in just a second. This is a family who decided to be real creative with a laser pointer. What they decided to do, you know how like cats will follow a laser pointer? Apparently they figured out during this time of isolation or during this time of being at home, stuck at home, they figured out that their kids, their two boys, also will chase a laser light as well. So take a look at this video. Isn't that great? I just love that. See, I don't like cats at all, so that's a much better way to use a laser pointer, honestly. So you do what you got to do, especially when you feel stuck. And if you're looking for more creative ways uh, to have fun with your family, let me introduce you to a game that my family plays a whole lot. It's called Sock Golf. This was actually introduced to my kids by my good friend CJ, who's our Stone Canyon minister. He taught this to my kids one night, and they absolutely love it. And we've played it over and over again the past few weeks. Basically what you do is you set up a course, and you say, okay, the goal is to start here. You want to try to get uh, your sock into, or your socks into like, the kitchen sink or onto a bed or on a couch or whatever. And this is how you hit it. You put it in the palm of your hand. You don't just throw it. You've got to actually hit your hand. And then you go and you follow it. You pick it up until you get it in the sink or on the bed or wherever you're trying to make your socks land. It's called sock golf. And we have played this for hours in my house. My kids love it. I love it. The only time that my kids don't love is when I beat them, which is whenever I don't let them win. But anyway, it's a lot of fun. You do what you have to do because no one likes to feel stuck. And today we're going to look at a guy in scripture who felt stuck, not just physically stuck, he felt mentally stuck, emotionally stuck, even spiritually stuck. And he hadn't been stuck just for a few days or weeks or months. He'd been stuck for 38 years. His story is found in the Gospel of John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me, John chapter 5. That's where we're going to study today. That's where we're going to be camped out today. And John sets up this scene that we're going to read about today, the situation we're going to read about today like this. Jesus is making his way through the city of Jerusalem. And he comes to this pool known as Bethesda. The people called it Bethesda. And there were hundreds if not thousands of people gathered around this pool. And this is what the Bible says. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. 
Now, before we go any further, let's hit pause there just for a second, because I know when most of us think of a pool, we think of a backyard pool or a pool at a resort or a hotel, or maybe we think about a public pool like at your local YMCA. If that's what you're picturing right now, get those images out of your head, because that wasn't this pool. This pool was massive in size. This pool was about two football fields in length. I've got a picture of it, and it was covered by five colonnades. It's basically five covered porches. This was a huge, massive structure. And what, uh, what historical accounts let us know is that hundreds, if not thousands of people gathered by this pool, laid by this pool every single day. And some of them didn't just lay there, they lived there. The majority of the people who were there, they were disabled. There were those that had physical ailments, the blind, the lame, those who were sick, that's who gathered there. And there's a reason why hundreds and thousands of these individuals gathered there. It's because there was this myth or superstition that surrounded this pool. People believed that this pool had special, miraculous healing power. They believed that the first one to get in the pool after the water would ripple would receive a supernatural blessing from God. They believed that God sends an angel occasionally to stir the waters of this pool, and the first one to get in after the waters rippled, after the water was stirred, would receive some special supernatural blessing from him. So if you were disabled, you thought that if you were the first one in, that God would then heal you of whatever you were dealing with whatever you were suffering with. That's what they wanted. Now, I know that sounds a little bit crazy, and we have found out later, archaeologists have let us know that there wasn't a supernatural reason for why this water would occasionally ripple, that actually there was this underground stream that fed this pool, and that's why occasionally the water would ripple as the people saw it. But, you know, people believe this superstition. They really believe that this pool had miraculous power, and as irrational and crazy as that sounds to us, we shouldn't be that surprised by it. Have you ever turned on, you know, like a late night religious infomercial and seen some of the stuff that they're selling on there that they're trying to get you to buy, they're trying to get you to purchase? For a huge love gift, they will send you all sorts of stuff. And I've seen before, late at night when I haven't been able to sleep, I've turned on these programs and I'll see guys selling healing water from the River Jordan that if you will send in this big love gift, this big donation, then we'll send you healing water from the River Jordan. If you drink it, then all your cancer cancer will just go away. One night I saw a guy selling dirt from the streets of Jericho and he said, if you send in your money then we will send you this dirt and you can sprinkle it over top of you and whatever you're suffering with, your diabetes, whatever, will just disappear. I saw another guy one time who's selling prayer cloths from the Holy Land that he had personally prayed over and he said that if you carried around this prayer cloth with you everywhere you went, you would feel God's presence in your life. Now mind you, the Bible says that when you accept Jesus as your Lord, you're baptized into him, you receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. God's with you anyway, but apparently if you carried around this piece of cloth, then you would experience God's presence in a special way. Now we understand. God doesn't work that way. God is not about passing out good luck charms or anything like that. But people believe this stuff. People have sent in money before to purchase those items. Why? The same reason why those who are disabled gathered by the pool of Bethesda. It's because when you're desperate, you will search for hope anywhere you can. You will search for hope 
anywhere, even if you're looking for it in all the wrong places. Because here's the thing. Deep down, we all want to be well. None of us want to be unwell. Deep down, we all want to be well. None of us want to be unwell. And that was the case for the individuals who were gathered by this pool in John chapter 5. And that was the case for a man that we meet in verse 5. Look at what John goes on to say. It says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now hit pause again. Because this is the only information that we get about this man. These are the only details we get about this man. We're not told his name. We're not told his social background, his family background, his economic background. We don't even know how long um, he's, he's actually, oh, we don't know exactly how he got hurt. We don't know if that 38-year time span is his entire life. Is he only 38 years old? Or did he get injured somewhere along the way? Is he like 45 or 50? And he got injured at some point. And just for the past 38 years, he hasn't been able to walk. We don't know. The only thing that we're told is he's been an invalid for 38 years. He's been in the same spot, the same situation for 38 years. And we kind of get the impression that a large chunk of those 38 years has been spent hanging out by this pool. Now, when I say hang out by the pool... Again, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want you to have the wrong picture in your head. When we say hanging out by the pool, what is it that we normally think about? We think about, you know, sitting in one of these, you know, like a, a pool chair, beach chair. We think about relaxing by the pool. Now, it's probably not a kiddie pool like this one. That's the only type of pool that I could fit on stage. But we think about sitting by the pool in our beach chair, relaxing, soaking up the sun, getting a tan. Maybe we have our favorite drink in hand, which mine happens to be diet green tea right now. It's full of vitamin C, so I'm trying to stay well. That's, uh, that's what we think about. Soaking up the sun, nice warm weather, cool breeze, getting a tan. I thought about wearing my swim trunks and taking off my shirt, but nobody wants to see that. But that's what we think about. If that's what comes to your mind when you hear hanging out by the pool in this passage, erase that. Instead, what I want you to be thinking about is this right here. This right here is a mat, or at least my version of one. Probably would not have looked exactly like this. But it's a mat that somebody who was paralyzed, somebody who couldn't walk, would have stayed on. Probably made of animal skin, had two poles like this. And in order to get around, people had to carry you. In a day before wheelchairs or scooters, this is how you got around. You spent all of your days confined to a mat like this. And you couldn't get around on your own. Someone else had to carry you. Multiple people had to carry you in order for you to get around. And we find out later on in this passage, this guy doesn't have any friends to move him around, so guess what? He's probably been hanging out by this pool on this mat for a long, long time. This mat is his life. He's been confined to this. He's stuck. And here's the thing. He wasn't just physically stuck. In this day, your disability was your identity, in fact, a lot of people believe that if you were disabled, that you had done something wrong and God was cursing you. Cursing you. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that, but that's what people believed. You weren't able to work. 
You weren't able to make a living. You had to beg in order to survive. That was this man's life. He stuck physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually stuck. And this man is at the point where he believes his life is never going to get any better. And listen to what Jesus does next. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now here's the thing. That's a yes or no question, isn't it? That's a pretty obvious answer, isn't it? This guy has been an invalid for 38 years, not able to walk. You would think that when Jesus asked him this question, do you want to get well, he would respond with a direct, overwhelming, yes, of course I want to get well. What are you talking about? But he doesn't. Instead, this man just kind of shrugs his shoulders, looks away from Jesus, and answers in this way. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. It's as if this guy doesn't want to directly answer Jesus. I mean, again, this is a yes or no response, right? Yes, I want to get well. No, I don't want to get well. But instead, this guy kind of says, well, I would if I could, but I can't, so I'm not. In other words, yeah, I want to get better, but I can't get better, so I'm not better. I would if I could, but I can't, so I'm not. This guy has given up hope. And here's the reason. He's given up hope because he's placing his hope in all the wrong places. Look at what he says. He says, I have no one to help me. See, this guy has come up with his own plan. Hey, the only way that my life is going to get better is if I get in this pool. He's got this plan all laid out for him to get better, for his life to get better, and he has tried to play out this plan over and over and over again, and he's failed every time. He's been disappointed every single time. His plan isn't working, and this is a practical life lesson for us. When we try to come up with our own plans for life and we ignore God's plan... We'll just be disappointed time and time and time again. But look where else he's placing his trust. He says, there's no one to help me into the pool. He's placing his trust in other people. He's hoping that other people will give him hope. And here's the thing. I teach all the time. If you worship with Israel, you know that I teach that God doesn't want us to do life in isolation, that he wants us to surround ourselves with godly friendships. He wants us to have people who will support us and encourage us and lift us up and challenge us. But... We cannot ask for others to do what only God can do for us. We cannot expect other people to be our source of hope, our source of ultimate satisfaction and contentment and joy. We need to surround ourselves with people who can help us find hope in Jesus because he alone is the one who can give it to us. But we shouldn't ask other people to do for us what only Jesus can do. So don't ask your spouse to do for you what only Jesus can do. Don't ask them to be your source of hope and contentment and joy. Don't ask your best friend to do for you what only Jesus can do. Don't ask the person that you're dating to do for you what only Jesus can do. Jesus and Jesus alone is our source of hope. This guy, he's been placing his hope in all the wrong places, and he has just been disappointed over and over and over again. And he's at the point where he believes nothing's ever going to change. 
Nothing's ever going to be any different. He feels completely, totally, utterly stuck. And let me ask you, you ever been there? You ever felt that way? You ever been at a place in life where you've thought, you know, the way things are, pretty much, that's how it's always going to be. You know your life isn't what it should be, but yet you don't feel like it's ever going to change. It's ever going to be any different. Let me make a quick observation. Observation after 17 years of preaching ministry in a local church. I've encountered, I've met a whole lot of people who have become content hanging out by the pool. Who have settled for just hanging out by the pool. They know their life should be different. They know their life should be more than what it is. But they just don't think it's ever going to change. They've become content settling for hanging out by the pool. And I think up until this whole COVID-19 situation, that was the case for a lot of people in the American church. They showed up week after week for church services and they listened to the messages every single week and they heard what people were singing. And they believed that Jesus can change anybody but them. They honestly felt week after week as if nothing was ever going to change. And all along, Jesus had been sitting right in front of them, standing right in front of them, asking the question, do you want to get well? The answer to their hopelessness was right in front of them. And yet they've been ignoring it. And Jesus is saying, stop settling for a life that's less than what I want you to live. And I believe that we sometimes need a wake-up call that basically says to us, Stop. Stop settling for a lesser story than the one I, Jesus, wants to write for you. Jesus wants to wake us up and say, I want to write a better story for you. So stop settling for a lesser story than the one that I can write for you. And I wonder if this whole COVID-19 situation isn't the wake-up call that some of us needed. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't believe that this whole health crisis that we're dealing with is a good thing. I don't believe it's a good thing at all. It's a terrible thing. And a lot of people are scared and afraid, and I wish it wasn't happening, and I wish it would go away soon. I'm praying for it to go away soon. I don't believe God caused it, but that doesn't mean he can't use it. See, God allows for things like this to happen because we live in a fallen world, a world that's been corrupted by sin, and just because he didn't cause it doesn't mean he won't use it to wake us up and help us see what we need to see. And I think maybe that's already happening. You know, some of the things that I've heard over the past few weeks, you know, I really wanted to spend more time at home. I wanted to spend more time with my family. And now I get to. I've heard people say, you know, I was just blowing through my money. I was spending money like crazy, not saving at all, not investing it. But now I've realized it's important to save for a rainy day. I've heard people say, you know, I'm not taking some things for granted like I used to, like, you know, toilet paper and Lysol spray. I'm not taking those things for granted anymore. And sometimes they even talk about more serious stuff like not taking family and friends for granted. I've heard people say, I've realized just how fragile life is and how we're not ultimately in control. I've even heard people say, 
You know, I wasn't near as serious about God, my relationship with God, as I should have been. And now, I'm thinking about him a whole lot. Maybe this situation is our wake-up call. And maybe in the midst of this crisis, we need to be asking ourselves the question, do you want to get well? Now, I'm not saying that you should just look for a silver lining in the midst of a horrible situation. I'm not saying that we should spin this to make a bad situation good or something like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I've got a friend who preaches up in Ohio, and he's a great preacher, great minister. He serves a really large church, but he's not a hugger. He's not a touchy-feely kind of guy, never has been. And so the other day, he was making a video explaining what his church was going to be doing the upcoming days. We've made videos like that here at First Church. And what's interesting is... As he made this video, look at the shirt that he was wearing. I love this. This is his shirt, not a hugger. Now, here's the thing. He had this shirt long before COVID-19 was a thing. But he wore it, and in the video, he said something to the effect of, hey, I know this isn't a good thing, but at least I know nobody's going to be hugging me right now. I'm not asking you to look for a silver lining. I'm not asking you to put some spin on this and say, hey, this is really a good thing. I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is, at this moment, when the world is hitting pause and slowing down and reflecting on everything, ask the question, do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to be a better parent? Do you really want to be a better spouse? Do you really want to be a better boyfriend to your girlfriend or girlfriend to your boyfriend? One who honors God. Do you really want to do something about your anger issues? Do you really want to find forgiveness, the forgiveness that Christ provides? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get rid of that temptation that has a hold on you? Do you want to be set free from the addictive tendencies that you have? Do you want to find true meaning for life? Do you want to find peace and satisfaction and contentment? Do you really want to change? Do you really want Jesus to give you a fresh start? Do you want to get well? Because if you do, Jesus is standing right in front of you. And he's offering just that to you. Because Jesus knows no life is too far gone. No life is too far gone. And that's why Jesus says what he says next to this man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, I love this. Can you imagine being there for this scene? Can you imagine being one of those onlookers on that day? And all of a sudden, you see a guy who hasn't walked for 38 years pick up his mat and walk. How cool would that have been? How awesome would that have been? I would have loved to have seen it. But here's the thing. Normally, when we focus on this passage, we focus and we, we really pay attention to the miracle. But in focusing on the miracle, let's not miss the message. Because what you need to understand is there were hundreds, if not thousands, of disabled people by this pool on that day. And only one was healed. It's not that Jesus didn't care about the others. It's just that apparently the message behind the miracle was more important for people to get and understand than the miracle itself. And you know what that message was? It's this. 
It's you're not stuck in the story you've been living. Jesus came to write a new script for your life. No matter what story that you've been living, you're not stuck in that story. Jesus came to write a new script for your life. Because hopelessness, it comes in a lot of different forms. And it arrives in a lot of different ways. And no matter what you're experiencing right now, no matter what you've been through, don't let your past limit what God can do in your future. You don't have to remain where you are today. Don't let your past limit what God wants to do in your future. So, do you want to get well? If you really want to get well, again, I believe Jesus is standing right in front of us and he's telling us what we need to do. This passage tells us what we need to do. And so if you really want to get well, this is the example that the passage gives us. First of all, we need to stop making excuses did you notice what this guy does at first? Jesus comes and says, hey, do you want to get well? And he says, well, I would if I could, but I can't, so I'm not. He immediately starts making excuses. He says, hey, Jesus, I would, but, you know, my plan's not working out, and there's nobody here to help me. He gives all these excuses for why he's not well. And if we truly want to get well, we've got to stop making excuses. We've got to stop saying, you know, I would spend more time with my family, but I just got to work. Or, you know, I, I would be nicer to my wife if she'd be nicer to me. Or, you know, maybe I would control my anger issue if people would make me so mad. we got to stop saying things like, I don't have an alcohol problem. I'm just a casual drinker. we got to stop saying things like, hey, I don't have a problem going back to those websites I shouldn't go to. I'm not, I'm not going to those websites more than any other guy is. we got to stop making excuses. And we got to realize the situation we're in. We've got to own that. And then after we own it, the next thing that we need to do is we need to accept reality. And the reality is we can't fix ourselves. We need help. We need help beyond ourselves. Our marriages are just not going to get better on their own. Your anger issues are not going to get better on their own. Your loneliness, it's not going to get better on its own. If you've got, if you've got something that needs to be fixed, the only way for you to find hope in the midst of that situation is to turn it over to Jesus he is our source of hope. He is our source of strength. And he is the only way that we can find the change in our lives that we're looking for. We've got to accept the reality that we can't fix ourselves and that we desperately need him. And then last, we've got to listen to him. We've got to listen to Jesus. We've got to actually do what he tells us to do. Did you notice in our passage what happened? Jesus says to this man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And what if the guy had said no? What if the guy had said, uh, okay, Jesus, sure, yeah, right, okay. Go on, Rabbi, go do whatever you're doing. I don't know what point you're trying to make here, but stop giving me false hope. What if this guy had laughed at Jesus and said, yeah, okay, yeah, I haven't ever thought about that, getting up and walking, yeah, of course. What if the guy would have said no? See, this man had to respond. He had to actually do what Jesus was asking him to do. And here's the thing, he did, and because he did, he was able to walk. But listening to Jesus is not just a one-time thing. Listening to Jesus is a lifelong journey with him. We continue to listen to him all the days of our lives, and that's why after this man is healed, Jesus comes back to this man, and look at what he says. He says, now you are well. Don't sin as you did before, or something even worse may happen to you. Why does Jesus go back and say that to this man? It's because Jesus knows our tendency 
Our tendency is to revert back to our old way of life, our old mindset, our old way of thinking. And Jesus didn't want this man to be trapped again by living out the story he used to live. Jesus had written this man a new story, and he needed to embrace that story. And the way to do that was not to go back to his old way of life, his old tendencies, his old habits and hang-ups. The way to do that was to continue to listen to Jesus and follow him. John Weiss preaches at Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and John's been a big encourager to me over the years. And I remember hearing John tell the story one time, and when he was in high school, he got injured playing baseball, and he had to be on crutches for a little while. And something that John noticed over a period of time of being on these crutches is that girls started to notice him in a way like they never had before, like girls would hold the door open for him or offer to carry his books or his backpack, whatever, to carry his tray at lunch. They'd sit with him, ask him if he needed anything. And he realized that girls were paying a lot more attention to him than they ever had before. And so the day came when he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know, John, you don't need to be on crutches anymore. And John said he looked at his doctor and said, doctor, can I keep him just a little bit longer? Because he really liked all that attention that he was receiving. And sometimes we get so comfortable in a certain way of life that we, it's just easier to live that way. And Jesus is saying, don't cling to a crutch. Don't go back to your old way of life. Don't live that old story that I've now erased for you anymore. Embrace this new identity, this new story that I'm writing for you. Continue to listen to me. Now, before we end, I just want to let you know my favorite part of this passage actually comes after all this stuff takes place. After the man's healed and Jesus has this conversation with him, after all this takes place, this man goes walking through the temple carrying his mat. Temple, this was a place of religious services, right? So all the religious leaders are there. And here's the thing, this healing took place on the Sabbath. So what that meant was you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. This was a holy day and this man goes carrying his mat through the temple, and the, and the religious leaders are ticked. They're mad because they consider that to be work. Not only that, they're mad that Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. Apparently doing a miracle is considered work as well. And so they confront Jesus, and they're mad at Jesus. And I love how Jesus responds to them. Look at what he says. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, even on this very day, and I too am working. In other words, you may not be happy with what just happened, but it doesn't matter. God's going to keep working whether you're happy or not. No matter what the day, no matter what the time, no matter what the situation, no matter what's going on, my Father is always at work, and Jesus says, I'm at work too, changing people's lives. I love how the message paraphrase puts it. It says, but Jesus defended himself. My Father is working straight through even on the Sabbath, so am I. I love that. Jesus is saying, my Father's working straight through, even on a day when you're not working. My Father is working straight through. And you know what? What if we took out even on the Sabbath and we replace it with even in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis? I think Jesus would tell us today, my Father is working straight through. Even when everybody's panicking, even when people are scared, even when stores are closed and restaurants are shut down, even when schools are canceled, even when the government doesn't know what to do, even during this COVID-19 crisis, my Father is working straight through. And so am I.
And if we want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, then we need to be working straight through to change lives as well. A few months ago, none of us would have imagined that we would live through a global health pandemic like we're living through right now. None of us would imagine a situation where you couldn't find toilet paper in stores or Lysol spray. None of us would have imagined living in a day where all these businesses and restaurants are closed. None of us thought that we'd ever live through this. But here we are. And here's the thing. Our mission as God's people, our mission as a church has not changed. Something that we say around here a lot as a staff, one of our mantras, is that be married to the mission, not the method. Methods change. Our mission never does. And if you're new here, our mission here at First Church is to love Jesus and love like Jesus, to love Jesus with everything we have, with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others, love our neighbors as he has loved us. We want to love Jesus and love like Jesus every single day. And here's the thing, that has not changed. First Church, we are here. You're where you are for this purpose. We're here to let everyone know there's hope in the midst of hopelessness. And that hope is found through Jesus. That hope is seen when we love like him. So I want to challenge you. I challenge you to do something this week. As a church, I want everybody to do this if you can. I want you to go out this week at some point. I want you to buy a gift card to a local restaurant. Just five, ten dollars worth. If that's all you can afford, just do that. Go buy a gift card to a local restaurant because restaurants right now are really hurting. They're really suffering. Our communities are hurting because of that. So go out and buy a gift card to a local restaurant to help them out. But then give that gift card to one of your neighbors. Put it in, a, in an envelope. Put a card with it. Write a note to them. Let them know you love them, that you're thinking about them, that First Church loves them. Even in that card, invite them to watch our services online. But go and give that to a neighbor because that might be the encouragement that they need right now. And I think if we all did that throughout the 918 and beyond, maybe you're watching in a different state or somewhere else across the globe, if you did something like that for your neighbor and for those local businesses, it could make a huge impact in someone's life. Guys, our mission hasn't changed. If you want to get online right now, we've got a ton of love 918 opportunities that you can do even while we're all practicing social distancing. Methods change. We're doing this all different right now. But the mission of Jesus still is to be carried out. That's what we're called to do. Do you want to get well? I do. I think everyone does. Let's go out and show them the one who can make them well. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to meet together at this time in our homes across Northeast Oklahoma, throughout the United States, maybe even other parts of the globe. And I pray that in this moment that we've had, that we can pay attention to what your word says, follow this example, and continue to, one, find hope in you, but also share that hope with those around us who need it. Thank you so much for Jesus, for being our living hope. And it's through his name that I pray. Amen.